Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We continue our study, our family Bible studies in the Gospel of St. Luke. And today we're going to talk about exorcism, the exorcism that took place in Capernaum. And I'm thinking what you're thinking. How in the world is he going to come up with a practical application for families from an exorcism of a demon-possessed man in Capernaum? Well, let's read the text, and I have actually a number of practical applications for families today in our broadcast. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ah, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power... He commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Just a little archaeological note. This synagogue in Capernaum has been discovered. And if you go to Google Images, just type in Capernaum Synagogue, you'll probably see a 4th or 5th century synagogue that they discovered, and then they discovered underneath that synagogue was a first-century synagogue, and that's exactly where this took place. Jesus came to Capernaum, uh, a city in the northern part of Israel, and this was kind of a ministry center for Jesus. And what I find interesting, can you imagine that you were a member of the congregation of this synagogue, and you're just sitting there, and, you know, you're probably sitting there with people you know pretty well. These weren't huge cities. And all of a sudden, one person who you thought was perfectly normal all of a sudden manifests demon possession. This would be kind of like sitting in church and all of a sudden something like this would happen. I personally think it would be quite of a, a shaking up experience. But I want to ask this question. Is this whole thing about exorcism and demon possession and the whole notion of demons? Is this something real, or is this a pious story or a pious metaphor for battling evil? Now, it's pretty obvious from the reaction of the people in this synagogue that they certainly thought this event was real. They were so amazed that they spread word of Jesus throughout their entire region. I'd like to kind of contrast this with a very recent event, or fairly recent event. In other words, bring this to our day. And I want to talk about the story of Governor Bobby Jindal, uh, who 
ran for president of the United States back in uh, 2016. I guess he was running for the uh, uh, nomination for the Republican Party for president. And he wrote an article for New Oxford Review magazine, and their website is newoxfordreview.com. And there's an article he wrote, Beating a Demon, Physical Dimensions of Spiritual Warfare. Now, let me warn you, everybody wants everything free on the internet. This article cost $1.95. I don't make any money from this. I do think this is a very worthwhile article. Um, It has been referenced by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the London Telegraph, because when he started running for president of the United States, um, you know, I found it very interesting. Not only somebody who maybe promised to drain the swamp, but how about to (laughs) exercise the place? Well, yeah, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Bobby Jindal was a student at Brown University, and he had converted from the evangelical Protestant faith to Catholicism. And as a new Catholic, he heard a priest confident, uh, confidently proclaim that the Bible's teaching and all this demon exorcism stuff were never meant to be interpreted literally, and that's probably a result of this priest's seminary teaching, uh, but such were incidents of simply religious metaphors and fighting evil. Now, Bobby Jindal was a brand new Catholic, and he accepted the priest's perspective without question. He had a girlfriend by the name of Susan who, over the course of um, the semester, developed a lump on her scalp, went for a biopsy, and they found out to be a tumor on top of her head from skin cancer. And kind of just backstory on this, while she was waiting for the operation to remove the tumor, Uh, She started having uh, nightmares. That's how she described them at first. Then later, she started describing them as frightening uh, visions. And a back-back story, her mother had uh, once approached a medium for healing for herself or a family member and perhaps exposing the family to the demonic. And then uh, as she got closer to the operation, there were strange odors and sounds occurring in her apartment. They brought the maintenance crew in to see if there could be any source of this. So in any case, the college students, the Christian college students, had organized a special prayer meeting for Bobby Jindal's girlfriend, Susan, before her operation, which was very nice. And at this meeting, was a group of the most active and experienced Protestant college leaders, and they were leading this meeting for her. And in the course of the meeting, which started quite normally, they got to praying for Susan, and she started making guttural sounds. And then she fell to the floor, and then she started thrashing around on the floors like she was having some type of seizure. And then she started kind of proclaiming out loud some very, very private and personal information about those who are praying for her. In other words, and I'm describing a demonic event here, by the way, um, the demon was basically trying to embarrass the people praying for her so that they would stop praying. And 
the student leaders started commanding Satan and the demons to leave Susan. My recommendation, if you're ever in a situation like this, you call a Catholic priest who is an exorcist, but I'm getting ahead of myself. And nothing occurred except the whole situation seemed to be getting out of hand. She tried to escape. They held her there. They started growing very weary and tired and frightened. So uh, as things were getting way out of hand, they called a local minister who declined to help. So, (laughs) you know, not knowing what to do, but not wanting to abandon their friend, um, a girl who was a leader of an other campus ministry by the name of Campus Crusade, she was a lapsed Catholic, but she happened to have a crucifix that was given to her by a friend who happened to be blessed personally by Pope John Paul II. And holding the crucifix over over Susan, well, all the demon stuff just went away and she seemed to almost like wake up like, what's going on here and everything. Uh, She went in for the operation and there was no cancer. She was completely healed. Uh, Susan subsequently became a Catholic. The head of the Protestant ministry that was leading this prayer meeting became a Catholic. The head of the Campus Crusade campus ministry who brought in the blessed crucifix who was a lapsed Catholic came back to the church. And as I mentioned earlier, New York Times, Washington Post, London Telegraph, all uh, have published accounts of this because they were shocked that somebody running for president of the United States would actually believe this stuff. Now, remember how I started this? A priest had given some very bad advice to Bobby Jindal, said there was nothing to all this. And he was totally unprepared for this. And by God's grace, it worked out well. But we need to be aware that we're living in a day where, like so many things, there's a divide right down the middle. There are those, like your host right here, and like the Catholic Church and its Bible teaching over 2,000 years, who simply take Luke chapter 4 at face value and simply say, yes, this occurred. This occurred in a very historic time in a synagogue that has now been discovered by archaeologists in Capernaum in Israel. But there's that other group, and the same type of group is in Protestantism, in Catholicism, and of course those outside the church make fun of these things, until something like this happens, who basically say, you know, this stuff, there's no reality to it. I'd like to read to you a very important sentence from the Vatican newspaper, La Observatore Romano, in an article entitled The Phenomenon of Satanism in Contemporary Society. In other words, the Vatican believes that this isn't just a problem for back then, this is also a present reality. And I quote from La Observatore Romano, certain attitudes play into the hands of Satanism. The first of these can be identified with the underestimation of this phenomenon. 
And I'll actually give a little stronger twist to that last phrase. The first of these, the first of these attitudes that play into the hands of Satanism is not just the underestimation of Satanism and the demonic, but the denial of it. Let me share with you some personal experience. I have been interested for quite a number of years in helping people extract themselves from the New Age movement, uh, which are is really like the occult light uh, very often. And I found myself, before I became a Christian, uh, studying some bad stuff. And so I wanted to basically help people get out of this type of thing. And in the town where I was living, nice, friendly, all-American town, Sarasota, Florida, I read in the newspaper there had been a grave desecration. And some of the sheriff's detectives had thought that maybe this was connected with somehow with some type of uh, satanic group because, you know, who would do this? It was actually a child's grave. So the local newspaper contacted local ministers and they said, oh, you know, there's no Satanism in our area. And I don't really want to tell you how I came across this, but I happen to know that at that time, when the newspaper reports that the local minister said there's no problem in our area with Satanism, that actually Satanism had reached the ultimate level of depravity in our part of Southwest Florida. And I'll just say two words, human sacrifice is the ultimate level of depravity in satanic worship. Now, I called the sheriff, introduced myself. I was a Protestant minister at the time. And I said, detective, you know, I happen to know that there is satanic uh, activity in our area. I read where the ministers in the community don't feel, you know, it's here. And he, I can't actually on the air tell you exactly what the sheriff said, but in his very um, salty words said that the ministers did not have very good spiritual per- perception. They knew it was going on in our community, and I didn't have to explain to them that it was. Uh, also, Sarasota, Florida. I mean, this is a nice Southwest Florida golfing retirement, all-American community. Um, since I was involved in this and Sheriff's Department, myself, we kind of share a little information back and forth every now and then. And I don't know how it got out, but the the leaders at the Ringling Arts School in Sarasota contacted me, and they were having all their student leaders and those in charge of the dorms. They were having training for them, like, you know, if the kids are having problems with alcohol, you know, suicide prevention, this type of thing. And they decided to add a, an occult Satanism prevention uh, lecture, which they had me in for. And they had found pentagrams on the sidewalk of the art school with candles and all this stuff. And the leaders thought something bad might have been going on. So I go in, give my presentation, kind of like what I'm trying to share with you parents today, saying this is a real threat. It was a real threat in the first century. It's a real threat in the 21st century. And one of the ways we play into it is to underestimate its effect. So I gave my lecture, and I'll tell you, it was really humiliating. I was just mocked and scorned. These were bright kids, 
and laughed at and everything else. And when it all quieted down, I think I shared this story before in the air, but it's worth repeating. A young woman in the back said, my family has been involved in Satanism for centuries. We came from Spain and we brought it with us, my family. This was, you know, long, long ago from Spain to Cuba and then from Cuba to the United States. Everything this man said here tonight is true, and everything he described is actually going on in this campus. Well, that lecture, sir, took a 180 turn, and you should have seen the faces of those who were laughing and mocking at me just a few minutes earlier. But see, this is part of the problem is that, okay, you hear something, well, maybe this occurred in the first century, but this stuff doesn't go on today. And, you know, um, we can have fun and games with haunted houses and the demonic and spells and magic potions. I mean, who's going to be hurt by that? Well, I had another friend, a high school friend. This was several years after high school, but same time I was in the Sarasota area. And his sister had started out with a lot of people did in the 60s and 70s with marijuana, proceeded to very hardcore drugs. She had been hooked on heroin, but her real problem wasn't as much heroin, believe it or not, as the demonic. She was really being plagued. And um, he asked if I would meet with her, and I said, yes, I would. And yet she was very skittish, very nervous, a lot of kind of strange conditions in our meeting, uh, it couldn't be inside. We actually met in downtown Sarasota in the, in the middle of a street under a street light. And I don't know, that's where she wanted to meet. That's where I met with her. And I tried to assure her that Christianity offered a solution to the demonic that she was so petrified about that she thought she was just experimenting. You know, a lot of people experiment in Eastern religions and dope and this and that. And before long, uh, they find out, oops, there's really something to this. And I was trying to share with her how Christianity could actually provide a way out and that Jesus Christ could liberate her from that. And yet I failed completely. I totally failed to convince her that there is any hope for her in Jesus Christ. And the reason was She said that, you know, the local youth ministries were having haunted houses on Halloween. And she said if Christians had any idea of the reality of the supernatural world and that there really is evil and the stuff they're making fun about is real, this is what I'm dealing with. She says they couldn't possibly know the reality of what's going on in the world and Christianity couldn't be true. And because of the fun and games with the demonic and the haunted houses and all that stuff, mm -mm. I never, I don't even know if she's alive. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she's, if she's dead, which it could be given this level of drug abuse, if she's in heaven or hell, but it was the Christian witness of zero sensitivity just like that priest who steered Bobby Jindal wrong, and he, he was desperate during this time, but it ended up deepening his faith. Just like the ministers in the 
newspapers who didn't think, we don't have any Satanism in this area, or like all those student leaders. A lot of people just think there's nothing to this. And you need to be very careful because the demonic, the satanic, the occult is being marketed to kids. And I I couldn't find the source for it. I've read it. It was just in the course of my researching this week, but I went through too many things and I couldn't put my hands back on it. But I did read that approximately 70% of Christian kids have read the Harry Potter novels. Those of you who've been with me for several years know that there was quite a controversy in the Christian community when the Harry Potter novels came out. There were uh, two schools. There were rather strong critics, and I was in that school, and there were rather strong supporters. But let me tell you something. Uh, And there was a very insightful article written back when this had gone back and forth. EWTN did TV shows, and I did several radio shows on this. Michael O'Brien was fighting this. But somebody had a real interesting observation. This person said there are two groups regarding Harry Potter. There are the critics and the supporters. But one thing that every single critic has is some type of personal experience either confronting the occult or the demonic or Satanism or actually participation in it before they became Christians. And the supporters are, you know, people who are English literature majors in college and or Catholic writers and such, and we're simply coming at it from some kind of literary perspective. This is a lot more than a literary perspective, but nonetheless, um, the chief exorcist of the Vatican, who's now passed away, he passed away in 2016, Father Gabriel Amorth, who has been involved in about 70,000 cases of exorcism. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's um, you know, that's incomprehensible to me, but 70,000. He was president of the International Association of Exorcists, and he said this, behind Harry Potter hides the signature of the king of the darkness, the devil, unquote. And yet, the majority of Catholic parents passed on Harry Potter to their kids. Oh, we're happy they're reading and this and that. No, you don't want to expose kids for the demonic because there's reality behind these things. And, you know, it's interesting. This happened to me when, before I was a Christian, I had a short but very dangerous trip through what's called today the New Age movement, including I guess you would call them today some occult practices, uh, praying apart from Jesus Christ, but literally having the ground shake under your chair. You say, well, that that can't happen. Well, that happened in the book of Acts, and it happened to me, and I wasn't in the Christian prayer circle. You see, there are realities, and then when you hit the reality, and if you've been brought up to think, well, there's no real stuff to this, and all of a sudden you find out there's some things going on in the spiritual world, do you think, well, Christianity doesn't know anything about this? No, it knows all about this. And the Catholic Church, more than anyone, you know, what was it? It was a lapsed Catholic who brought in a blessed crucifix from John Paul II and put an end to it when the Protestant minister wouldn't even show. What a tale to be told. So as parents, 
you really want to be careful about this. And that article that I cited from La Observatory Romano on contemporary Satanism, you know, they really warned about music as well, because a lot of times in music, like in contrast to, say, a movie or an article where you could actually evaluate it, parents aren't listening to the music and all kinds of really twisted stuff can come across and promoting things that are way off the charts. So I want to get some practical applications. I got to go through these because it's really important. You need as a mom and dad to know the St. Michael, the Archangel prayer, and you need to know your children know it and you need to use it. I just, without getting into a whole much more, I could go on on this, but you need in the days we're living, you need to know this prayer and use this prayer. Also, I would highly recommend a blessed St. Benedict's medal. Um, this has an exorcism blessing. It's a, it's a very powerful uh, medal, and you should make those available to children's bedrooms, like with a crucifix with one of these St. Benedict's blessed medals embedded in it. Um, as a resource for parents, Michael O'Brien has written a book, A Landscape with Dragons, The Battle for Your Child's Mind, again by Michael O'Brien, and a very valuable part of this book. It's like the first half is, you know, how to use discernment as a parent for your child's reading. And then the second half, which is like worth its weight in gold as well, is a reading list over 1,000 books for Catholic children from kindergarten right through high school. Invaluable. This might be um, graduate school for those who have a strong attachment to the powerful protection of St. Michael the Archangel, but there is a St. Michael shrine in Gargano, Italy, and it's the only Catholic shrine, basilica, whatever it is, that hasn't been blessed by a bishop because St. Michael the Archangel appeared there. Padre Pio would send people to that uh, cave where St. Michael appeared, and if they were troubled by the demonic, um, just a visit there would often free them from that affliction. Now, I'm not recommending you fly over to Italy and go visit the cave, but if you're in Italy, I, I would want to visit the cave, but you can bring the cave to you. You can get a St. Michael stone from Gargano, Italy, and if you want to know how to do that, just send us an email at askthehost at gmail. Dot com, and we'll get you the information in doing that. Some good things to read to kind of put your antenna up, uh, The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and also by C.S. Lewis, That Hideous Strength. And if you happen to be one, says, Steve, you're all washed up. There's nothing to this. Father Gabriel Amorth, Rome's exorcist, having dealt with 70,000 cases, has two books. I couldn't decide which of the two, so I'm going to mention both. An Exorcist Tells His Story, and An Exorcist Explains the Demonic. Don't get caught up in this. Become aware. It's real. Let your children know it's real. You don't have to be fearful, but just watchful. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 234 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.